I'm Andrea Hope, and this is To Mother. Episode 36, Impacts. Hi, it's Andrea Hope, a poet, a wife, a mother, a Baha'i, and this is my podcast to mother where I share my recommendations and insights about parenting with purpose in the modern world. So I share some quotes from the Baha'i writings that inspire me, some practical tips and resources, and sometimes my poetry or other people's poetry. So today we are talking about empaths. And if you haven't heard of this term before, it's likely that you have heard of empathy. But when you say empaths, you're generally talking about people who experience the emotions of others. Now, there can be some slight variations in what someone might call an empath. There are people who are empaths who resonate more closely with the animal world. And so they feel more connected to animals. You think (laughs) Dr. Doolittle, but um, maybe animals tend to be more calm around them or they gravitate towards animals. There's people who gravitate towards the earth, nature, impasse. Maybe they feel like they can sense things happening in the earth before they happen or while they're happening in another place. There's physical impasse where when someone else close to them is experiencing some kind of physical distress, they can feel it as well. And there are Emotional empaths, and I consider myself to be an emotional empath, which means that you can experience the emotions of others and you're very easily affected by the energy and the emotions around you. Before I get too much into this concept of being an empath and being a parent or having children maybe who are empaths, I just want to say that when I talk about kind of defining myself as an empath, it's just in order to know myself better and to help myself better. So there are certain things that I listen to that are reflected from the viewpoint of an empath that might be different from me because of the way I see the purpose of my life or because of my spirituality. But I think to know yourself is really important when you're trying to understand how you can better interact with the world and how you can better apply the writings. So as a young person, I always really felt heavy, the weight of the world. And I also found it just unthinkable (laughs) that people would watch violent movies or that people would watch these stressful situations and TV shows and things like that. I was like, why would somebody want to watch like chaos or distress or, you know, the news and stuff like that. This was unimaginable to me. This was hard for me to imagine that this is like entertainment for, you know, majority of people. And also just experiencing emotions so strongly, having mood swings. And so it's something I always thought about myself. And then a couple years later, when I was older, I learned about highly sensitive people. And so I thought, oh, maybe I'm just a highly sensitive person. But more recently, I've understood this to be that I'm an empath, because I think the difference with highly sensitive people is that they're often um, introverted, and they have a sensitivity to a lot of things around them, where I am more just sensitive to emotions. Sometimes I can be sensitive to sounds and other things, but it's a lot more energy and emotion. So some of the questions that you might ask yourself to determine if you're an empath, if you are one, you probably know. (laughs) As soon as you hear me talking about these things, you're going to be like, yeah, that's me. But I'm going to read off a couple of questions that I found when looking into what it means to be an empath because it can help you understand what an empath experiences or what they go through. Hey, Regal, that's my baby boy. So some of the questions were, do you find it overwhelming to be around large groups of people? Is it almost unbearable for you to watch violence? Do you take on the personalities of those around you? Do smells and sounds largely impact you? Are you repulsed by narcissism and dishonesty? 
do you have frequent mood swings? So these are questions that I'm just like, yes, yes, yes to, and they might help you identify if one of your children is an empath or help you to understand what it means to be an empath. So again, when I answer these questions, I'm answering what naturally comes to me, how I naturally feel, how I naturally react to things. And then as a person of faith, I know that I have an influence on what I do with that. So I don't know that I can change my natural reaction to things, but I can have it navigated and guided by the word of God, which is what I try to do. So usually I pick a quote from the Baha'i writings that has really inspired me and helped me. Today's a little different because I picked a quote that really challenges me. (laughs) So I think about this quote often. I'm just going to read one sentence of the quote, Um, but it's something that challenges me. And in this case, I thought it was appropriate to pick it. So this quote is a pilgrim note, meaning that someone heard Abdu'l-Bahá say this quote. It isn't written in scripture in one of the books of Abdu'l-Bahá, but it is from the notes of someone who heard him talk. And Abdu'l-Bahá says, Be not a slave to your moods, but their master. I'm going to read it one more time slower. Be not a slave to your moods, but their master. This quote is very important to me because though I do find that I'm naturally impacted by other people's energy, that I have mood swings, um, that a lot of experiences overwhelm me that wouldn't overwhelm other people. It would be one thing for me to say, okay, this is how I am. Now I know this is myself. (laughs) And um, I can just avoid situations or people that challenge me. But as a Baha'i and as a person who's spiritual, as a person who wants to grow and have a better understanding and to build community and who believes in universal participation in this life, I can't simply just say, this is me. And I'm just going to avoid things that don't work for me. Now, I do need to set some boundaries for myself. But honestly, often that's like my last resort. If I'm in a situation, I really feel like I have to set a boundary here. But otherwise, I try to think of each situation as, okay, I have this mood. I have this energy. I'm affected by this as an empath. But am I being a slave to my mood? Am I being driven by this or am I mastering this? Am I in charge of this? Am I taking ownership of what I do with these emotions? To give you some insights into what that looks like for me, for instance, I really have found that I can't watch violent TV shows and movies and things like that. That's a boundary I've set for myself. I don't feel like it's necessary to watch those things. Um, And so I found that they make me have unpleasant dreams, that they make me unstable emotionally, and yeah, it's just not a good thing for me. So even when I've been in situations where people are inviting me over and I really want to hang out with the friends or I really want to be a part of something, I've even been in situations where I've got there and I didn't realize, you know, that we're having a movie night, that the movie they chose is violent. And I had to set a boundary for myself and say, hey, you know, I just, I'm a very sensitive person or I'm I'm an emotional person. And I know that if I watch this, it's not going to be good for me. It's not going to be pleasant for me. And just be honest with people. And um, then I've left (laughs) situations where I felt like, hey, this isn't going to be good for me an hour from now or even during, you know. But then there are other situations where I have a very strong emotional reaction where I just have to breathe and I just have to 
think about how I want to use this energy or if I can process this in another way. And those are times where I would want to pray or reflect or I would want to write out several times what I want to say to someone before I respond. And I want to turn to things that are calming for me. So the living the life tip that I had for uh, those who are empaths or who have children who are empaths is to consider crystals. Now, some of the things that I was reading and listening to about impasse is that crystals can be very great for impasse as a way to harness your energy, as a way to protect yourself, as a way to bring calm to you. Because crystals are a part of the earth, everything in the world is uh, different forms of energy. And so they ground you in the healing powers that are inherent in the earth. But one thing that I found really interesting in the book that I was listening to is how they openly acknowledge that your belief that it will be helpful to you is center it helping you. Because it's all about energy, right? So your belief that this energy is powerful and that it is helpful to you is essential in getting a benefit from it. So I don't want to think like, oh, I should worship crystals or that crystals inherently have this power to change your life or anything like that. But there is this concept that's helpful to me that they're a symbol like so many things in our life and they're a natural symbol that's given to us in the earth. And of course, I wanted to check, well, what do the Baha'i writings say about this? And I found some interesting writings from Abdul Baha that say that crystals represent the paradise of the stone. I thought that was very interesting. So that crystals represent the highest point that a stone can manifest to. And he also notes that there are different stages of crystallization. Crystals can be even more and more perfected, and that is an analogy to all created things. So my husband told me that he used to wear a blue topaz crystal that was related to his birth month and that he found that really helpful and he felt protected by that and balanced by that and he was hoping to get another one uh, because he hasn't had it for a while. So we're looking into getting him some topaz. And then for me, the crystal that was recommended for empaths was amethyst, I believe. And I thought about getting that one. It's a nice purple stone. But for me, I'm always really calmed by water. I've always been really attracted to water. And just because I'm feeling naturally more gravitated towards aquamarine and anything that represents water, I think that I prefer to get something that is aquamarine. Even the color just like calms me that it's so related to water. Maybe it comes from me growing up in the Bahamas or I'm not sure exactly why the case is. Um, but I also looked it up and saw that it is the color for March, which I thought, oh, that's even cool because that is very significant to Baha'is because we have the spring equinox in March. And so we associate that with the day of God and the, the new day and the light and everything like that. So I'm going to be looking for some aquamarine crystals and then topaz for my husband. And for me, also raw crystals are more appealing. Like I want that texture like a lot. You know, you can get bracelets and stuff where they're round and they're smooth. But for some reason, I'm very attracted to this like rawness, this texture that comes from the earth. And I feel like touching that and uh, holding that and feeling that energy will be really nice for me. And I want to reiterate that I am planning to have this as a reminder to myself in moments where I'm feeling overwhelmed with emotions that I can take the opportunity to calm myself, to connect with the natural energy of the universe and to pray and to read the writings that I feel like would be helpful 
for me and to remember those things in that moment because I want to be able to be a resource to other people. One of the things that uh, one of the books I was listening to said is that empaths are often writers, which I am, are in counselors or they work with animals or they work with taking care of nature. And I've also considered being a counselor, but I was like, how can I be a counselor when I get so emotionally invested in what's going on? But I have done uh, counseling for kids and after school counseling and things like that. I've actually also worked in a halfway house. So I have done some counseling. And the idea though is that when I do get this negative energy, I'm not really sure what to do with it and I get overwhelmed by it. When I get positive energy, I feel on top of the world and I feel really happy and I just want to hug everyone. And generally my mood is like that where I just want to like say hi to everyone I meet and spread love and hope and light to everyone. But then when something negative happens, I have a lot of fear and concern for other people and I have this negative energy and I'm like, what am I supposed to do with that? And I feel hesitant to tell other people because I don't want them to be affected by that as well, even though I know I have these resources that I can turn to. And so to be able to channel that energy into something as a first resort is really appealing to me. And it reminds me kind of of the shrine where you can say you go into the shrine, like the shrine of the Bob when I was in Haifa. And you can think of it as like you go there to let go of your negative energy. And it's not that you're putting your negative energy into the shrine, but it's that you're letting that place calm you, letting it absorb that negative energy so that you can be whole and balanced again to go on to whatever is next for you. So one of the really wonderful things was to be able to go to the shrine right after a busy day. A lot a lot of heavy things, the stories or letters that I might come across. And to be able to be in a place that has positive energy that is by its very nature a calming and loving place. And I talked about in a previous episode having a sacred space for yourself as well. So I would love to hear if anyone has experience with crystals, how you use it in your life or what you think about them or if you've had any hesitations or you know just any thoughts on using crystals and you can email me at info at andreahope.org at any time and just let me know what you think and what your experience is and give me any recommendations and my resource to go along with this idea of crystals I found two companies that sell jewelry that have some kind of crystals that are related to the Baha'i faith or related to prayer and spirituality and so I thought I would share those so the first is nine star jewelry they have some really beautiful well-made jewelry that you can find and some of them have different gemstones and crystals and things like that that you can look up they have their own website and they're also on etsy and then the other one i kind of found randomly and it's called white peach cottage and they're not specifically baha'i but when i was looking through they have prayer beads for all different kinds of religions and even different denominations of christianity so they had the different kinds of prayer beads and then they explained a little bit about that faith and I thought that was really wonderful and it's interesting because the person who uh, owns this white peach cottage says that she's a retired grandma from Georgia United States who likes making things and she wanted to share these things that she creates with other people's and so she started this shop and she sells things and it doesn't say anything about her religious affiliation but she does have prayer beads that represent many different groups so there's Anglican Methodist, there's Orthodox Christian, Unitarian Universalist, she has Baha'i, she has Protestant, 
Episcopalian and Islamic. And so these are just some of the ones that I saw. I'm sure she has many more. And she doesn't just create the prayer beads and then put these different names on them. She actually does the numbers by the significance in that religion. So for the Islamic prayer beads, she'll have a set of 33. And for the Baha'i ones, she'll have a set of 19 and 5 or 95. Again, those links will always be in my show notes. If you go to tomother.buzzsprout.com or if you just look in whatever app you're listening to the podcast in, you'll see the link for those two businesses, Nine Star Jewelry and White Peach Cottage. So before I end with my poem, I wanted to say that part of my excitement in learning more about identifying as an empath is being able to recognize it in my children as well. Um, Our son is a bit young, but I feel like I can already see some of the signs in Azalea. And if this is how she interacts with the world, it'll be so beautiful that I'm able to learn ways of coping and ways of dealing with things that I can also recognize it in her and pass it on to her. And I think that was a challenge for my mom because my mom isn't a naturally emotional person, or maybe she is, but it wasn't cultivated in her to be so. So she came up with a lot of boys and she always had to be a very strong person. She wasn't raised by her mother and father. So there's a lot of things that when I was growing up, it was perplexing for her. Like, why am I getting so emotional? You know, my life really wasn't so traumatic to cry over or to get so emotional over to have these mood swings. So I remember my mom asking me like, you know, what am I so sad about? Or what reason do I have to be sad? And so I think it was a challenge for her because she didn't understand the way that I experienced the world. And I never knew that other people experienced the world differently. I thought maybe they handle it better. But like I said, I really couldn't understand how people watch the certain things that they do or say the things that they say to each other. And so I only knew that as the way I experienced the world and I didn't know to identify it as anything different. And one, since we as humans are so, so similar, so you assume that if something is clear to you, it's clear to other people. But also there's these deep intricacies that make us different, that are both nature and nurture, that guide how we respond to things. And in a way that causes struggle, like I said, I get overwhelmed by negative emotions and I have struggled with my mood swings and my feelings of negativity from the world around me. But it's also can be very positive and it can be really channeled into these positive outlets, like I said, of writing or being a counselor, or if I can really find a way to calm myself and to accept this about myself and then move forward with it, how much peace and positivity and love and healing could I potentially manifest in the world? How much energy could I replace with that positive energy once I learn how to be not a slave to my moods, but their master? So the poem that I'm going to leave with is called Your Heart a Mountain. It was inspired by a virtual workshop that I attended. And they had us write based on a poem by Lucille Clifton that says, You a wander, you a city of a woman, you got a geography of your own. So we were writing about ourselves in terms of being some form of geography. So it's purposeful that the phrase, your heart a mountain, is a phrase written without a verb. It's just a certain kind of dialect where you can express yourself without the use of that verb, kind of like a slang, a Southern thing, or an African-American cultural way of expressing yourselves. And this is the poem that came out for me. So here it is, Your Heart a Mountain by Andrea Hope. Your heart a mountain, girl. It's too high up, they say. 
Section it off with ropes, they say. Build a wall, cover it with snow, make it a volcano, they say. But you're heard a mountain. To the naked eye, it don't move. Of course, scientists know it erodes real slow. Geographers and montologists and your mama know you're heard a mountain. Many will tread, many will trash. We'll use it for exercise. We'll try to conquer it. Your heart a mountain, how could they resist? But then again, many will wander. Many will climb. Many will lay by your side and feel the sun on their face. To Mother is an individual initiative and provides only the personal reflections and insights of its creator. That's me. For more information about the Baha'i faith, including access to the official writings and contacts for Baha'is in your community, please visit baha'i.org.